0: Hello everybody, welcome back to the BSF lecture series on Matthew. I'm Abraham Lee, the teaching leader for the San Francisco region. Today we'll be looking at the remainder of Matthew chapter 9 into chapter 10. Jesus continues to teach us about how we need to prepare our hearts in order to take up his special and particular calling. Before we take a closer look at what this means, here are some announcements for this week that we should be mindful of. We are continuing to have the BSF, mybsf.org migration take place and it's going to be uh, completed by the end of this week so please be on the lookout for it after this week you should be able to have your materials back uh, accessible through the mybsf.org site Uh, But they did tell us it will be complete by uh, December 8th, but it may be to the end of this week. So just be prepared for that. In the meantime, you can access our materials and this lecture series at biblesf.com. I want to encourage everyone to go there. If you have any problems at all using biblesf.com, please shoot me an email at BibleStudyNSF, that's StudyINSF at gmail.com. And this is what the website should look like. You have those two buttons underneath the main description for you, where you can access the video as well as listen to the podcast. And I also want to remind you that any giving that you're planning on doing for Christmas can be accessed through the international.org website, but please remember to use the code 1232, which is the regional code for our San Francisco Peninsula region. If you're a member of the San Francisco Peninsula region, including the city, please use 1232. And lastly, because we are talking about the persecution of the church, and recently we were um, uh, thinking of and praying for uh, the martyrs around the world, uh, I wanted to refer you to an extraordinary uh, ministry that is 100% involved in sharing information about what's happened to current Christian martyrs throughout the world. You can find out more about them on persecution.com. That's www.persecution.com There you can go in and sign up for their email newsletter as well as their physical magazine which they uh, send out for free to anyone who's interested in receiving it And then you can also listen to them on their VOM, Voice of Martyr Radio podcast, which I highly recommend. Um, It's a terrific show. So let's get into our study for this week. The big idea for this week is living into Christ's calling means living into kingdom realities while willing to sacrifice worldly expectations. So the big idea is living into Christ's calling meaning living into Kingdom realities while willing to sacrifice worldly expectations. And Our focus verse for this week is found in Matthew 10.39, which says, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It's a good verse to memorize. Uh, Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Much later in my adult life, I have come to appreciate watching a lot of movies. Um, I never watched so many movies in any stage of my life than probably in the last 10-20 years. It's not easy to produce a compelling movie script I learned after studying how movies are being produced. Much like writing a fictional novel, a story has to have really good relatable characters. Otherwise, it falls flat. And also, the characters have to be embedded in a well-defined story structure. Otherwise, it will also fall flat. If you look at any of the most popular movies out there, whether it's Star Wars, Harry Potter, or Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, the narrative often starts off with an unknown, unqualified, ordinary character that nobody pays attention to, who receives a calling which is confirmed again and again through different events and circumstances to reveal the characters you know, true mission and destiny, a sense of purpose for their life, which ends up being much larger and significant than they initially first understood. And it's like that for most of us too. So most of us can relate to that a lot. We often feel like one in a billion other people caught up in daily work and life routines that kind of blur from day to day and lack any real importance. No real defining opportunities present themselves and and it feels like a lot of times we're just biding our time until retirement or something happens to us. Something just comes and, and someone serves us something interesting to live for. Many of us passively wait for a calling to come like a letter in the mail. We don't follow Jesus and we don't look actively into the calling that he's given to us. As would say someone who was working in the military and gotten a new mission or a new project or a homework assignment instead of looking into and trying to understand our assignment understanding the project given to us with some level of understanding and detail we just kind of flounder not knowing how to begin the project at all unwilling to start the assignment with any degree of anticipation or excitement or uh, looking forward to the kind of growth that will happen through this. So in this lesson, we see a bunch of ragtag followers of Jesus who have lived all their lives pretty much for themselves, uh, following Jesus, watching him as he's were completely devoted to the care of people that they and their culture had overlooked, dismissed, ignored, and had been irritated with. Possibly like we are, often irritated with our homeless people on the street. These were the sick and diseased, the marginalized, the brokenhearted. The disciples saw the power of God's transformative presence in Jesus, and now Jesus called them to be his laborers in the harvest. People are transformed by the calling, which has a Latin root for the word vocation. A calling has the effect of opening up our minds and our eyes to new realities and purposes. You know, a, a good job uh, where we are stretched and we are called to do things that we never have done before really opens up new possibilities and helps us understand details and and nuances of a project or job that we hadn't even bothered or been interested to see. So. That is a call. what a calling does for us, has the effect of opening up our minds to these realities. A calling gives a powerful sense of meaning and purpose in life. Like a military troop which has been given a new mission, it gives rise to an infused sense of life purpose in which a person's mind contextualizes his or her life in terms of a meaningful outcome. As much as God's mission is worthy, it is also one which has many challenges and costs. And those challenges and cause has the effect of perfecting us into the image of Christ and as uh, citizens of a kingdom made after his himself. so in this chapter we have two divisions we're looking at: one is the empowerment of Christ's calling, the empowerment that Christ's calling gives us, found in Matthew chapter nine thirty five to chapter ten to ten verse ten, and then secondly, the challenges and obstacles of Christ's calling where we look at uh, Matthew chapter 10, 11 through verse 42. So the challenges and the obstacles of Christ's calling. So we left off at the end of Matthew chapter nine, where Jesus was going throughout the towns and villages of Israel, teaching in the synagogues and reminding them of the promises of God as told in the scriptures, showing them signs of his authority and power through miracles never seen in h- human history before. But as one would imagine with such powerful signs of healings, the crowd started to grow. They came to see and hear what Jesus had to say. And it is here that Jesus calls His disciples to participate with Him in the ministry, conferring on them His power to heal, raise the dead, and drive out demons, preaching the news that the Kingdom of God, as prophesied by the prophets of old, were being fulfilled in their times. They, the disciples, were entrusted with the authority and power of God to go in his name to preach the message that they had heard from Jesus and and teach it to the churches throughout the towns and villages. And this was even uh, including Judas Iscariot, who would later betray Jesus. Jesus is always involving us in his work so that we might attain to his heart. See, when we are not involved and practically living into, we only have a theoretical understanding of what Jesus is about. Remember Jesus having the disciples participate with him in feeding the 5,000, that he could have made meal kits fly into people's hands like manna from the sky. Remember also when Moses' time, when it was difficult for Moses alone by his one person to govern and to judge all the different cases brought to him by the different tribes, uh, God commanded that his work be allocated to many other trustworthy men who could themselves become judges, to judge impartially and to help govern the nation participation is an indispensable part of the training that god has for his people not only to develop and apply our spiritual gifts but this training gives us insight and appreciation for god's heart to acquire god's heart and to see the world from the perspective of god's heart he saw a people helpless and maligned without a shepherd When teaching about himself, Jesus often used the analogy of a good shepherd to communicate that he makes us his main responsibility and concern. He watches over us with loving kindness and a watchful eye. He takes upon himself the consequences of our own errors and sins. He makes sure we understand God's heart for us as one who loved us so much. He gives us his life to watch over, protect, and always ever works to find us good places in our lives in which we can flourish in peace. He is the Lord of Peace, he is the Prince of Peace. The Good Shepherd never clocks in his hours with a nine-to-five attitude. With Jesus, shepherding is an all-absorbing, 24-7, 365 days of the year, 100% involvement, as a shepherd's job back then was. Attentive to all aspects of our lives past, present, and future. So Jesus is totally involved. But the question is, are we totally involved with him? While many followed Jesus, he specifically called the inner 12 disciples by name and empowered them to heal and cast out demons, breaking strongholds of evil, and releasing people from all sorts of bondage. From chapter nine, verse 38, as well as chapter 10, verse one, we see that God is the one who qualifies the call. Again, God is the one who qualifies the call. It's not the qualifications of the qualified ones who come seeking God. We are told to see the spiritual needs out there and pray that God will send out more laborers. It is God, the Lord of the harvest, who sends out the workers. We only pray for them. We only pray that God would send them out, but it's God that sends out the workers and then empowers them with the gifts of ministry to undertake the work with power. So when you start to wonder if your calling Either in BSF or anywhere else is a mistake, or you don't have the special training or qualification or education, or you don't have the charisma or dynamism or attractive personality to be a minister for the Lord. Think again on this passage, on these verses, especially verse 38, that the Lord calls whom He wills, and He qualifies, He trains, and He empowers those He calls. We only need to have faith and obey. Watching and actually working are two very different things. Have you noticed how mindful of the details and the overall complexity of a work you become when you actually put yourself into the work situation and you get your hands dirty? When you have to have to deal with the problems and challenges yourself? Watching someone else do all the work has its limits. You can't keep teaching theory out of a textbook and expect a young person to really understand how something works. As they work out there in the real world Jesus would have us working not merely watching he doesn't want us merely reading our Bibles his command to his followers has always been go ye go in our day Jesus has empowered us to do miracles of a different kind than those he did with his disciples but he said that his followers would do even greater miracles greater works than these that's John 14 12 where he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So what exactly is a miracle? How come I'm not seeing it? I'm not seeing, you know, greater works of miracles than Jesus did. Well, think about what a miracle really is. We're not the miracles that Jesus Uh, did really about doing the impossible or is it really about tending to and addressing an urgent and impossible need? Isn't the essence and power of a miracle really about making possible the flow of God's care and love where it was impossible and unthinkable? Isn't that what Jesus was all about when he was doing his miracles? Christians throughout the ages have done this, not in the snappy and magic show way that would sabotage the heart and spiritual connection behind miraculous works. Miracles and other powers are easily abused for self-glory and fame when they're done in this magical way that we sometimes insist on wanting to see them performed. It becomes very selfish and self-oriented Instead, the modern-day miracles Christ empowers His Church to do have to do with putting deep work into the various ministries like BSF, or in other ministries where people are creating schools and hospitals to rehabilitate and care for the broken and the lost and the abandoned. Like Jesus who always addressed the individual spiritual bondage first, forgiving the ailing person's sin before healing the body. Believers are given these powers to undertake these miracles still today through poverty programs and music and praise, dance and songs of worship, inviting and enabling people who could not do these into the practice of worship. Miracles are powers of His love through ministries. Christians build hospitals and schools and nourish the body and mind, liberating through law or business, policy making and governance, through the sciences and technology and engineering, freeing people from sex trafficking and human slavery and poverty and every debased profiteering off the misery of others. God empowers us by doing these miracles through His calling so that we can empower others to God's love. So this brings us to the first principle. Following Christ involves thinking less of oneself and more of God's heart. Following Christ involves thinking less of oneself and more of God's heart in serving others. So in what way is God asking you to follow Jesus by serving others right now? What opportunities keep coming up which you have ignored or you've pushed to the side thinking I'm not qualified? What human perspective of costs made you afraid to serve or sacrifice more? What's, what's causing the hesitation? Maybe you will have to deny yourself in order to get out of your comfort zone and set aside your plans for the day, sacrifice some sleep or give away some of your money and the things that you cherish to follow the Lord. As we consider spending what is required to serve others, we can remember that Jesus undertook everything. First, by sacrificing himself, even from the very beginning, giving and giving and giving, as he walked up to the uh, cross on uh, Mount Calvary. He empowered those he sends. He trains for greater works than you never thought possible, and you're limited thinking about his purposes for you. See, he always did first what he has called us to do, As Jesus promised us, by His Spirit there would be greater works that He would enable His people to do than He did, His miracles served a different purpose, though, showing His true identity as the promised Messiah, deliverer of mankind from sins, the miracles that He gives us to do is for our training and to the witness of the world of His Lordship and of His Gospel, that He is the Messiah come to liberate the world from sin, from death and the bondage of Satan. Note also that the mindset with which we are to do this. In verse 8, Jesus says, Freely you have received, freely give. When's the last time you've given something, but you've constantly thought about the cost and your hand was kind of reluctant to reach out to give? Whether what you think is measly and small, too inconsequential to give, perhaps like the five loaves and two fishes, thinking in God's economy, it's too small. But yes, in his economy, it's actually it's actually tipping over. It's actually point of tallying and tipping over what is actually required. Faith accounts for everything. He only asks us to have the mind of Christ. The small stuff, the things that you don't think amount to much, always counts in God's plan because it's never about what you bring to the table, but what God does through your obedience. If you keep counting the cost and thinking, oh, this isn't going to tip the table, this isn't enough, and you keep tallying that by your worldly measures of things, you'll never come to the table, and you'll never look to God for what He can do. You'll keep missing out on the things that God wants to hold out to you because of your lack of faith. You keep counting things based on your faithless assumptions. Freely you have received, freely give. I wonder if this admonition didn't really strike at the heart of someone like Judas Iscariot, who was also counting the cost, thinking more about his personal gain. If we take a worldly view of credits and debits, we will never see the meal for one turned into a meal for thousands. This message where Jesus says, don't take gold or silver, bag for the journey, extra coat or the sandals or the staff, because the worker is worth his keep, it keeps reminding me to stand back stand back more and to see what God will do. I keep getting in God's way and so do you. To witness something like this in your life, you really need to change your perspective so that your sense of reality is measured up to heavenly realities that God would have you see the world in so that you can stand back more and pray more and let God intervene more in his great works that he wants to accomplish for his kingdom through you. The last thing I want to point out about Jesus' commission to his disciples is his telling the disciples to go to the lost sheep of Israel, not first to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but to Israel. And at first reading, this seems a little unfair. Why was the precious message of the gospel excluded to them at this point in the beginning? Why couldn't it go indiscriminately to all places? Well, here we have to remember that the context and teaching for where the gospel comes and where the promises of God comes are very important, especially during these times early in the New Testament church. Without the proper context of understanding God's promise of the Messiah through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through David, and through the prophets, the gospel loses a sense of continuity to everything that God has done in the past, everything that God has said that he cared about from the very beginning. He cared about us from the very beginning of time. What if you didn't understand this and that you only saw that Jesus came it would be totally out of context anything you rightly knew as revealed through the nation of Israel through Abraham Isaac and Jacob and that's why Jesus when God always says that he is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob he wasn't saying that he was only their God he was saying that he is the God revealed truly through a person and through a nation that were to be vessels of his truth and of his word. That's very important to remember. Why? Well, the gospel can easily and it has often been taken out of context from the Old Testament uh, heritage and history and easily had been turned into heresy. If you look at Wikipedia, you'll also find that there are many heretical texts that arose in the first centuries as the churches grew that taught blatant errors, using the little bit of truth that they got, fitting in with a lot of lies or a lot of misconception or myths that they understood. And I I refer to Wikipedia because it has an easy-to-find listing of it, not that... It is a it is a surefire uh, source of authoritative truth Uh, no I'm just saying that Wikipedia has a good list of it you can look for the non-canonical Gospels the non-canonical Gospels many of which do not align themselves with the whole message and teaching of the scriptures um, if you're curious about this and I bring this up because again to show that if you don't put the gospel in context there is a likelihood of people usurping the context of the gospels, uh, taking the gospel and manipulating it for their own use, for their heretical use. Uh, there are gospels out there that says Jesus was married and has his kid, had his own children, and they, they're still alive in the world today. There are gospels out there that says Mary Magdalene was his wife. There are gospels out there that teach all manner of aberrations and uh, outright lies. And those are the ones that really show, if we're not careful in taking the word of truth as they've been transmitted down through reliable uh, people that God used uh, to, to train up through Jesus to be his disciples for the tr- transmission of his word, then we will be handling these other texts uh, and get into confusion, as many other people in the church often uh, find themselves. God is a God of order. That's what we need to remember. He's a God that is—he cares about truth, and He cares about procedure and the way in which His truth gets out there. He has appointed the Israelites as a vessel for His word and used their history, culture, and social development to bear the marks of the signs of God for all the nations. Because all the nations will get into all kinds of things that they get distracted by, and the beauty of God's world in the developing of their own myths and legends, but that's not what God cares about. He cares about getting his word correct. So he uses the Israelites as a vessel for, their, for his word to be transmitted through his prophets, and then they get embedded into the culture, and the cultural artifacts of this, the Israelites, as a witness to the nations, their divine signs imprinted into their cultural identity and heritage were to bear witness to the totality of God's work to redeem mankind. Therefore, to go to the Gentiles right away without these clear, specific background context would be circumventing the role given specifically to the Israelites for the nations. And to ignore Israel's role would be to scatter the world to unprepared ground. The world was to understand God's covenant which means his promises as explained through his working through the Hebrews so that all nations might rightly understand the true God who is distinct from all the false gods of human invention and myths. God is very interested again in getting at the truth, getting across the truth so that it comes to our understanding in the entire context of God's word to us, in the framework of God's context of God's word to us. In verse 18, these disciples will eventually have the opportunity to bear their gospel, witness to the Gentiles, and governing officials, but they will face much opposition, it says in verse 18. So this brings us to the second principle for this lesson. Principle two says that following Christ's calling may bring many challenges and persecution, but results in eternal rewards. Following Christ's calling may bring many challenges and persecution, but results in eternal rewards. The history of the Church has been one of persecution because of the message of God. It tends to disrupt and judge the corrupt system of man, under the world which is ruled under demonic rule. The Word of God always brings to the light things which people try to hide, keep hidden, exposing all kinds of greed, perversity, and evil schemes to subjugate others. God's Word runs so contrary to the basic assumptions of man's self-righteous regard, Jesus says that even members of one's family may betray your trust and work against you as a follower of Christ and His calling. I personally know of Chinese converts, friends of mine, who converted from uh, Buddhism to Christ. And one particular sister in Christ returned home to Hong Kong and started to share her newfound love for Jesus. Her parents suddenly became, over just a meal, I think it was during lunch, they became very angry when she started to talk about her conversion to Christ. And they threw her immediately out of the house. She said it came as a complete surprise to her that her faith in Jesus would cause such a radical, unpredictable spiritual attack against her through her parents. They loved her before. Complete was devoted to her. And then over, over lunch, as she was just talking about how she... She studied Jesus and was convinced by his, his gospel. Um, she was completely attacked and thrown out of the house. Romans 8, 7 teaches us that this sin-infected heart is at complete enmity against God or is an enemy against God. The mind of the flesh is hostility toward God, for it is not subject to the law of God, for nor can it be. That's Romans 8, 7. Even as these attacks and persecutions may happen, they will present opportunities for the gospel to be shared to people and among places you never thought possible. So at times under duress, Jesus says in verse 19 to 20 that you will be given the right words to speak. Even though you may think you're not qualified or you're not a very good communicator or you don't, you don't know how to present yourselves yourself as a one um, uh, called of God to do His work, He's going to give you the words to speak. In the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Through the preaching of the Gospel, lies and things hidden will be disclosed and revealed. God will demonstrate His powerful provision for you so that even as you may face attack, He will make you stand and have the right words to say, and He will watch over you. Those who follow Christ empower others in the fellowship of Jesus' calling. So part of our witness is to call those who would believe into the fold. Even the simple act of kindness, it says here, to a missionary or to a servant of God, earns an equivalent reward as fellow collaborators in the mission. Cold cup of water given in his name, even the simple and the basic acts of kindness and support and collaborating has its reward. We looked at the teachers of the law and the disciple in chapter 8 who didn't understand the change of mind about personal gain and reworking of priorities that's required to follow Jesus. It is true that many of us in the US, in America, where we have so much, that we claim to be Christians we don't know the first thing about truly following in his footsteps as we meditate on verse 38 where Jesus says anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it so it's so important for us to understand what it is to have a harvesting mindset a harvesting mindset in Christ is to see opportunities in every direction of our lives for doing the work of Christ, sharing the gospel. It means praying for your work colleagues, setting up time with your kids to talk about the importance of spiritual things, ensuring that you find a passion in your relationship with God that gets you excited about his journey every day and looking for every opportunity to get more involved and to be creative about this process, reclaiming the sense of purpose and mission that colors everything else, the big and the small things. Let's pray as we conclude our talk today. Lord Jesus, thank you for being absolutely clear about what it means to follow you. Thank you for not letting us fall back on our lazy beliefs that we can be half hearted and friends with the world and keep living life with the world's rewards as our ultimate aims and continue to believe that we are your followers. You know that you said that those two things do not mix, that we must choose the one or the other. We cannot serve two masters. We pray, Lord, that we will always choose you because you are, Lord, the Lord of all things. You've created us, and in these times you are calling the redeemed to yourself. We live so self-satisfied in our delusions about true faithfulness, Lord. Help us to make the mature choice to follow you with a genuine wholehearted heart, to take up our cross daily and to follow you. We pray that you would continue to make it clear to us in in the various different areas of our hearts where we are false and we have not surrendered our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to surrender our lives completely for the privilege of following you. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in the Messiah's name, in Jesus' name.